Welcome to Chat With Me. I'm delighted to welcome my first guest on the podcast, a recent graduate of International Affairs, also an upcoming YouTube influencer. He creates a lot of content on YouTube and generally an all-well-rounded young Nigerian. I'm truly delighted to have a chance to sit down and chat with Richard and Zeku. Richard and Zeku, welcome to chat with me. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Richard, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I graduated from Northeastern University in Boston last in 2019, last year. And um, I recently just got back after working in the United States for an extra year. I just got back to Nigeria this year. Um, and I'm currently in the middle of trying to start my NYSC, which is the youth service here in Nigeria. So that's, I'm in that strange transition period. Um, COVID threw a lot of plans off. So I've just had to readjust a few things. And I figured now would be a good time. I had some space to come back home and just, I guess, reconnect and uh, do the service. And then I'll plan my next steps. So, um, and in addition to that, I'm actually... I own a YouTube channel called Rich Perspectives, where I just document my various travel experiences and personal experiences. Um, the whole idea being to celebrate world cultures and just highlight different multicultural experiences. So that's been keeping me very busy. Excellent. You talked about two things that I actually do want to touch on. So you're a recent graduate in a university in the U.S. and you just returned. So I'm curious to hear your experience uh, in the U.S. and how it compares to what happens in Nigeria. Hmm. So I, it's an interesting question because whenever I talk about the international student experience, it's, you get all sorts of responses. Some people enjoy it. Some people hate it. I personally, I enjoyed uh, life as an international student. There were a lot of challenges, um, but I, overall, I would say my experience in college in the U.S. was very, very interesting for me. I made a lot of friends. Um, our school or our college actually also had these different study abroad programs, and they were very focused on making sure students had this um, experiential learning experience where you go out of the U.S. if you want to, you have the option to take classes, you have the option to work in different countries. And I'd like to say I took full advantage of those programs, which broadened my understanding of the world and just my experience and expertise in different fields. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have done that. And I think that contributed a lot to the success I would say I had as an international student. So yes, there were challenges in terms of, you know, I mean, for one, you're on your own. I, I actually enjoy being on my own, but that doesn't save you from a lot of the different, from the fact that you have to fend for yourself. Um, for example, if it's time to file taxes in the US and you don't know that as an international student, you're supposed to file taxes, you don't want to get into any trouble. You don't want it to seem like you deliberately um, try to not file your taxes. So things like that, where nobody really tells you, you have to either do a lot of research or you have to be lucky to have heard from someone else and then you learn. So those are the kinds of challenges that international students, I would say, face. And I definitely faced myself. But overall, like I said, I fantastic experience in college. 
Excellent. So the second part of that question was, how do you compare it to what's mm. happening in Nigeria? Mm. Mm. In Nigeria, I'm still, you know, I, I don't have too much experience with the Nigerian university system. Um, there's been a lot of talk about strikes and this and that going on. So it's, um, it seems like right now, these days in Nigeria, the university experience is kind of um, shaky in a sense where, and by that, I mean, it's very, there's a lot of, um, I guess you could say people are feeling very unsettled. A lot of students, I've seen people complain about their academic experiences and how, you know, they're not getting a, a very good education because the government isn't prioritizing the education that they should, that they deserve. So it's sad for me to hear those things because I can't really relate to that experience. But this at the, at the end of the day, it's my country and these are the real issues that the majority of people are struggling with. So, like I said, I don't know too much about, I don't know, I can't really give you like an in-depth um, analysis, if you will, of the Nigerian system. But these are just things that I know on surface level that are the issues that are um, rife in that field. So from the little you know, yeah. but from the much you've experienced uh, from your academic um, journey abroad, yeah. how would you... What would you suggest that uh, the Nigeria can do to improve education? Um, How do you think Nigeria can improve education? Um, from what I've heard, a lot of people, um, either just hearing this in passing or speaking to a few people, what I've heard people complain about is the lecturers, that a lot of lecturers are not, um, they don't deserve to be lecturers. They don't have the necessary experience required to be lecturers. So they feel like their education is not at the heights that it should be. So right off the bat, I would say if that's a, a big issue in the Nigerian university system, then I would suggest a more thorough, um, a more thorough selection process of lecturers and or more thorough vetting process of lecturers. Because at that level, um, at a higher education level, you don't just want any sort of education. You want a very good education because that arguably is probably the most important part of your education, your, your university sec section. So if the lecturers are a problem, then you need to address that because the attitude of the lecturers, the skill set of the lecturers will greatly determine the experience or well, maybe not determine, but it will influence the experience that a lot of students get in university. So that's one main suggestion that I would have. And the next one would just be the facilities. You hear a lot of people talk about the facilities. Even when I speak to my parents about school, they're like, oh yeah, things were so good back then, but now all the facilities are run down. If you drive past King's College or Queen's College, you can see broken windows and all sorts of stuff. And you know, nobody wants to see those kinds of things, especially in schools that were once considered the greatest in the continent. So I would say the government should really invest in um, getting very good, durable, um, proper facilities for students because the facilities as well as the lecturers influence the experience students get. If you don't have good facilities, then you don't feel like your education is as uh, complete as it should be. And you mentioned Queen's College, mm -hmm. so certainly uh, it's a concern to see what has happened to some of our really good schools in the past. 
uh, being run down and a lot more, you know, just not meeting the needs and the level that they should yeah. be. Another thing you talked about was taxes, and I, I that struck me because I, I know that we struggle a lot with getting the citizens to pay their taxes in Nigeria. Mm. So you have mentioned that, you know, uh, taxes, you found that to be very important when you were abroad. Mm. So what would you say to the citizens in Nigeria about taxes? Should they, should they not be paying their taxes? Because a lot of times we hear people say, well, we pay taxes and it's uh, being squandered mm. or funds are being embezzled and money is not being utilized the way it should mm. be. So what would you say to our listeners about taxes? I mean, that's a, that's a very interesting question. For me, I've never personally paid tax in Nigeria because I wasn't, I, I guess you could say I wasn't around when I was old enough to be paying taxes. So now that I'm around, maybe I could start experiencing that. But generally speaking, in an ideal sense, I guess you could say paying taxes is important. Um, but then again, it's important if, the citizens are seeing the benefit of those taxes being used properly. If the taxes are not being used properly or if people are not getting a sense that they are being used properly, then it's very hard to tell people you should be paying taxes because it's like, for what? Why, why, what am I going to get in return? So it's, um, it's a, the answer to the question would be, I guess, in two parts. On the one on the part of the citizens and another on the part of the law enforcement of the government. The government has to really make sure that they are using the taxes. Unfortunately, a lot of times in Nigeria, we don't see the benefit. We don't see the proof that the taxes are being channeled in the right direction. Um, but I feel like that part has to be addressed first before you move to the citizens, whether or not they should pay taxes. I think taxes are important mm. um, if you get the benefits. So I would say the benefits need to come out first or people need to be able to see tangible results in that department. And then that motivates them to want to pay tax because they're sure they're going to get um, the right um, outcome from that. Okay, sounds good to me. Uh, another question, another point you mentioned in introducing yourself is that you actually are a YouTube content yes. creator. So how many years have you been uh, content creating on YouTube? How is it going? And what would you say are some of your best productions? I've, so I actually just celebrated my one-year anniversary on YouTube a few weeks ago. Oh, Thank you very much. It's been, um, it's been a very good experience for me. I've, it, just, it was just a random idea that came to me because I didn't know what to do with all the pictures and videos I had from travels. You know, when you travel, you take all these pictures. You're like, yeah, I need every single one. And then you go months, years, and you haven't even revisited a single photo from then. And then you just keep taking up the space on your phone. So I had to really ask myself, what do I do with all this stuff? I can't keep just keeping them here. And then after a while, I'm like, oh, I have to delete this. So I decided to create a website where I could write about my travel experiences and at least have pictures to show what I was writing about. But even a step further, I've always been one who enjoyed film. I love film, I love music, especially classic Hollywood movies, black and white, old school stuff. So I learned a lot about cinematography. I didn't study any of this in school. And I always saw myself making videos, but I just didn't think about YouTube as that. And I was never really into YouTube. But once I discovered that this would be a good avenue for me to showcase that skill set, I decided you know what, what, what do I have to lose? 
I don't know anything about filmmaking apart from what I have learned from just watching films on my own and looking at the different angles and how directors shoot all sorts of scenes. But I was confident that I would be able to get a hang of it. So um, I took a trip to Puerto Rico and I decided to just use my phone to film everything. I didn't have any fancy camera gear. I had a phone and I also had a GoPro with me for like unique action shots. And I made my first travel vlogs. And since then, I've, I'd like to say I've improved. Um, the subscriber base has grown and I'm very grateful for that. And it's been a very, it's been a fantastic experience. I'm very happy I got into it because it feels like a full-time job for me, even though I'm doing it as an additional way to make income and just to showcase all my meaningful travel experiences. The name is Rich Perspectives, not just because my name is Richard, but also because I want to showcase rich perspectives from around the world for myself or other people through different experiences. Oh, wow, that sounds great. Uh, so what do you say are some of your best productions? Which of your videos have you had the most number of views? For uh, my most watched video is one where I learned Brazilian Portuguese from scratch by myself in 10 days. Uh, it was Wow, in 10 days, it was a language challenge. Obviously, I didn't come out fluent or anything, but I learned a lot and I had a showcase. My, I showed myself having a conversation with a Brazilian friend of mine in Portuguese and in English as well. Um, but yeah, that has been my most viewed video over 150,000 views and most of them Brazilian. Oh, wow. So my subscriber count has grown exponentially thanks to that video. And I, I'm, I'm in the process of working on other challenges as well. So that, I would say, is my best viewed video, definitely. And then a few others here and there. Impressive. Congratulations. Can you say something to our listeners uh, in Portuguese? Oi, gente. Uh, that means hello, guys. And that's all I can remember right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good enough. Oi, good enough. It sounds like Chinese to me. <laughs> anyway, all right, so um, I was very impressed to hear what you said, and actually I'm encouraged. As you know, I just started my podcast, so one of my questions to you is, do you have any tips for me just coming yeah. into the fray? You know, I'm realizing that there's a lot around yeah. production, recording, editing, and promotion. And like you said, you actually can become very yeah. overwhelmed with uh, the whole content creation, distribution, and promotion. So you, with all your one-year, 12-month advantage over me experience, <laughs> what tips do you I have for me? I would say the me? big thing is consistency is key. Uh, you have to be consistent. Mm. I, I know, for example, on YouTube, if you're not consistent, your videos will not be recommended by YouTube because the algorithm needs to see you putting out more videos to the more you post, the more of a chance you have of your video getting picked up and recommended. So it's um, consistency is the main thing I would say. And also, like you mentioned, it's not easy when you have to keep putting out content. I have suffered from, I guess you could, let's just say brain freeze. <laughs> when I what else to put out right. or maybe, right. especially with COVID, things were significantly um, unavailable compared to like, you know, previous times. So I couldn't travel to do much. I couldn't go out to film things. I had to, I was just confined to my house or my apartment in Boston. But even in that season, I learned how to make content from my apartment. 
And I started, you could, I guess you could even mm-hmm. say it's similar to a podcast, but just in video form where I talk about things that are on my mind. Like I did one about the importance of charisma or is charisma really meant for special people or can anybody be charismatic? I've talked about productivity and just, you know, all sorts of different concepts that I feel like I need to address or things that are bothering me because at the end of the day, it is my creative space. So whatever situation you find yourself in, um, however unfavorable or unfortunate, there's always room for growth in that. And that's what I've learned. So if it ever gets tough and maybe you're not getting the traction that you thought you deserve, uh, because <laughs> trust me, I've, I've been in situations where I'm like, I deserve more than this. You know, I've worked so hard on this video and only a couple views here and there. And I'm like, I, I need more. And it can be discouraging. But I've learned that you just need to keep going. You'll make other videos. In your case, you, will, you have other podcasts, other things that people would like to listen to as well. And over time, I believe you will begin to see the results of your hard work. And that will motivate you to continue to, to put out more content. Wow, thank you so much. That really sounds uh, very encouraging. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned COVID, uh, the COVID yeah. um, pandemic. You know, you talked about your inability to travel and other constraints during lockdowns and other um, situations. So I was wondering, what's your thought about uh, the coronavirus? Uh, how do you assess Nigeria right now, mm-hmm. the way they're handling the coronavirus and um Generally, what are your thoughts surrounding coronavirus? Well, the coronavirus is one of those things we never actually thought would have such a devastating impact. I remember at the beginning of the whole thing back in late February, early March, yeah, we were hearing whisperings of it here and there, but I never imagined it would grow to be this problematic. I thought it'd just be a thing where yeah, it's maybe it's in China now. It, they'll know. They'll figure out a way to handle it. It won't spread that much. But wow, <laughs> we were all mistaken about that. I mean, I remember when we used to think lockdown would just be a few weeks, and we've been in lockdown for so many places for the whole year, basically, in a lot of countries. And that is just something that we're not used to. Even as on a psychological level, as human beings, we need interaction. We thrive off interaction and movement. We're not made to just sit in one place or have that aspect of human connection cut off. So for a lot of people, you see mental health issues in addition to the economic impact of the whole thing. And it's just a mess and nobody knows when it's going to go away. So that just creates, it adds to the overwhelming sense of just instability and not knowing which way. So it's been a very harsh readjustment, but you know, thankfully, we're still alive. We're in good health. A lot of us, unfortunate that so many people have suffered from it and lost loved ones as well. But I, I count myself very fortunate that I'm still here, you know, like haven't caught anything. I'm still able to do things and I don't take it for granted at all. Um, in Nigeria specifically, thankfully, we haven't we don't have anywhere near as many cases as the U.S., for example, I'm not sure why that is, but I'm just so grateful that that's the case because I think, honestly, if we were to have that level of um, that amount of cases, we would be struggling a lot. But for some reason, we don't. And even in terms of the NCDC and how they've tackled COVID, I would say they've done a very good job. I remember when I was coming into the country from the U.S. 
it was a very, very detailed process and they coordinated everything quite well, I think. I was even given a packet with like information at the airports and like another packet with hand sanitizer, spare masks, a thermometer to take my temperature in case. And those were things that I wasn't expecting from Nigeria because, you know, sometimes we key into a lot of the negative stereotypes. That, oh, yeah, they wouldn't do that in Nigeria. They're not organized enough. But I was proven wrong when it came to how COVID was handled at the airport. People have had different experiences, but I, I think they're doing their best. And you even have places today. Like today, I took a COVID test and the results came out already. I took it in the morning. It's come out already. This afternoon. So, you know, oh. things like that, that we wouldn't think could be possible here. It's possible. So I, I think Nigeria is doing a very good job, um, generally speaking, compared to what we're hearing of a lot of other countries. Oh, that's good to know. Thank you. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue our chat with Richard Nzeku. Welcome back to Chat With Me, and uh, we'll continue the discussion with Richard Nzeku, who is an eyewitness to the recent NSAS protest. Richard, just before we go on uh, to discuss the issue that I'm sure a lot of our listeners tuned in to hear um, your experience about, um, just before the break, you were telling us how you were impressed about the way um, the government is handling the coronavirus, especially your experience on return to the country, uh, the airport. Um, so that was good to hear that um, at least there's some effort in um, curbing further spread of the virus. But I was curious, how do, would you rate the, uh, the government's handling of the economic aspect of the crisis? In that regard, the country has not done too well. With that, um, uh, and you know, it's it's hard because I mean, which country? Not many countries have been able to do that. I mean, New Zealand has been an exceptional example of a country that was able to really handle things well. Um, but Nigeria, specifically, it's it's been very tough for people, and people are not used to this. And I think there's also an education problem, where if you go out now, nobody's wearing masks out. Or if you wear a mask, they think they're like, why are you wearing a mask? Like, are you the only one who <laughs> can get COVID? But just things like that, that people don't take it as seriously as they should. And that translates to, I think it translates to a lot of the economic issues because, for example, you have people with those kinds of attitudes and then they may be the ones who go to sell stuff in the market. And you never know if someone can catch it somewhere in that environment and then they spread it and then they're forced to shut down work. So it, it creates this ripple effect where the economy suffers as a result of lack of education, or well, with lack of education being one of the factors. Um, so I, I don't think Nigeria has really done too well with the economic um, factors of COVID. And now, for example, the dollar has, the Naira has devalued. The exchange rate is getting, is getting worse. So people are, we're kind of worse off than we were at the start of the year, for example. And a huge part of that is because there's no business. We can't import as much as we're used to doing, which is a problem in and of itself, because I've always been of the opinion that we need to focus more on what we can export than import. We have a lot of agricultural 
products that we can key into and export to countries that would gladly pay for it. But we're so used to importing, I feel, that now when that avenue has been cut off for months on end, we don't know what to do. And so we're suffering from a lot of that. And that's why a lot of people are stressed because they don't know what to do. So that's a long answer to say Nigeria has not, in my opinion, handled the economic fallout well. Mm. Thank you for your opinions. And then you also mentioned something about the face mask. So I was wondering, we've been around, we've seen a lot of, um, you know, people out and about, like you rightly said, without face masks. I was curious, what do you think those um, responsible for enforcement can do to make sure that they enforce these face mask mandates? We are aware that it's now bulleted and it's uh, a mandate that once you step out your door, you must wear a face mask, but we're not seeing the level of face mask wearing as it should be. What do you think that uh, the government should do to um, There was one thing I saw mask? when I got back that struck me, and that was a lot of advertisements on TV or on the radio about, in pidgin English, about the the benefits of wearing a mask, mm -hmm. washing your hands, sanitizing and all that. And I thought that was a great idea because, you know, it's that will resonate with a lot of the people who are, I guess you could say, not as educated as the or, or as they are of the lowest social class. So if you present this information in a way that they can easily understand, they're, they're more likely to understand the um, the benefits of doing that. So the advertisements on TV and Pigeon English are very important, I feel, because it makes them more aware, you know, so they're not thinking, oh, what's all this English that these people are speaking? They can actually hear it in the way they would communicate on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and additionally, a lot of organizations, a lot of places you go to, they've actually done well with enforcing these things. They have hand sanitizer dispensers outside there's no mask, no entry policies. So you're forced to wear a mask and you're forced to sanitize before you go inside and you're forced to sanitize as you're leaving. So, or there are also places where they check your temperature before you enter. So I think those are good ways to really um, start to at least become more productive in that area. But at the same time, I've noticed a lot of security guards who are supposed to be wearing masks, supposed to be ditching, uh, giving out hand sanitizer and taking temperature. Their masks are beneath their nose as well, or around their necks. And it's like, this is defeating the purpose of what the mask is meant for. So is, I, don't, I don't know if that's an education thing where people need to recognize the mask needs to go over your, whole, your nose and mouth, not just the mouth. Or is that an issue of people just being lazy or just tired? Because it's hard to wear a mask, let's be honest. It's not easy especially when it's hot and you're sweaty. It's, uh, and it kind of, for me at least, sometimes I'm not able to breathe as freely. Um, so I get a lot of people want that freedom of just taking off the mask. Um, but I would say these are the ways in which um, masks and um, you know, sanitation and all these things can be enforced. The a lot of companies are doing that and I'm happy they're doing those and the ads as well to appeal to the general population. I agree. So uh, basically, um, there should be more mm. grassroots campaigns in local languages 
that actually, um, you know, address mm -hmm. correct and accurate information that provides the necessary education opportunities for the uh, communities to ask questions and get accurate information, like you were talking about wearing the masks correctly and even, you know, just proper ways of hand washing and um, taking care of oneself, yes. So we'll call on, um, you know, a lot of our grassroots support um, organizations to intensify the proper campaigns in local languages as well. And then do you think that there may be uh, hesitancy from the community in terms of accepting or awareness about coronavirus? Because we're hearing a lot about people saying, oh, you know, mm. it's from people yeah. like Richard who come from abroad, mm -hmm. or, you know, big people, rich people, things like that. Mm. We in the community, we are more worried about mm. uh, daily living and you know, you know the hardships that uh, yeah. are surrounding our daily lives so it think, what 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 do you think I, about I can see uh, where such comments? the people who make those comments are coming from because if you haven't caught covid yourself you it's like what reason do you have to say oh yeah this is real when you haven't been affected directly you know a lot of people when they hear that it it started in china how else is it going to come from china travel if I'm not, if I'm a person who has never traveled out of the country or is not about to do so at any time, I would not think I can get it because I haven't traveled, you know, and this is how a lot of people think. And I've spoken to people who think like this. They're like, oh, no, that one is only for rich people or people that travel. Me, I know they travel. What can I go do? What can COVID go do with me? Those kinds of comments that you hear people make and so I understand where they're coming from, but it's they need to be educated that, look, you have not traveled, but other people in the country have traveled. They've mingled with other people who may have mingled with you and you wouldn't know, you know, and those are the things that people need to be more mindful of. And but we joke occasionally here that maybe a lot of people in these local communities COVID before, but they were able to just handle it with all the local herbs and medications that they take. Because a lot of people, when you have a cold or those flu-like symptoms, they just mix the different herbs and then you're fine. And these things actually do work because they do have medicinal value. So it's a joke that, oh, that maybe may have been the case. But um, those comments, though I understand where they're coming from, I feel like they need to be more educated to understand that it's not a, it can't happen to me kind of thing. You wouldn't know until it happens to you. And then what do you do from there? Just before we go off the topic of coronavirus, we are aware of um, the um, vaccines that are currently being approved for um, immunizations worldwide. So I just wanted you to give me a sense of what you think about mm -hmm. the vaccines. Uh, what are you hearing? Would people, are they likely to accept the vaccines? What are some concerns that you might have heard or you may have? And will you or will you not mm -hmm. take the vaccine? I, whether a vaccine will help or not, it, you have to look at your, what options do we have but to at least try and find a way to prevent this from happening. And a vaccine is the most logical way to go, in my opinion. Like, I don't know what else we can do if this is such a big issue. I mean, if you look at all the other vaccines that have been in development throughout history, they have come from similar 
cases like this, like uh, smallpox or whatever the case may be. There was once a time in history where communities, societies were suffering from these ailments that they didn't know where they came from. They didn't know how to address them. And people had to get, get to work to find a ways to prevent these things from happening in the future. And we've become used to those. So maybe this is just um, our own time to witness this happening. Many years later in the future history books, they'll look back at the COVID vaccine as just one of the vaccines that are in um, development in the world because of this pandemic. So personally speaking, I, I just think you might as well take the vaccine. Um, I know people have different ethical arguments for and against vaccinations. I'm not going to force anybody, force my opinions on anybody. But personally speaking, I, I would take the vaccine because um, I just feel like they're, like it's a more proven way of working to combating the virus than not taking anything, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We'll take another break and uh, we'll come on back and discuss the uh, topical issues of the time. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Chat With Me, and my chat today is with Richard Nzeku, a young graduate, a YouTube influencer, and an eyewitness to the NSAS protest. Um, so you, like you said, you're just about to start your youth service, or are you? Yes. So I was curious, what do you think are some of the topical issues in the youth stratosphere at the moment? Being a youth yourself, what are some of the things you and your colleagues Definitely friends, bad are talking governance about in the country. Um, and that has been brought to the fore again because of the NSARS mm -hmm. protest. That is the most important discussion amongst the youth today, that and the issue of uh, the education. Yep. You mentioned NSARS because sometime back in October, a couple of months ago, you know, the whole NSARS um, initiative where a lot of people um, spoke out against what was going on in terms of police brutality. It gathered a lot of response, even from major uh, celebrities worldwide and a lot of support from uh, the vice president and now president-elect Joe Biden, celebrities and all. Um, so can you tell us from your perspective, what is NSAS, what happened, and um, mm -hmm. how do you think the government handled it? And um, what would you do differently okay, so if you NSARS, had to handle it? Um, the way I've seen it and experienced it since I actually went to one of the protests, um, NSARS is, yes, the issue was... Um, we were made aware of the issue because of the whole issue of police brutality, but it's much bigger than that. It's about bad governance in general. The police brutality was a way to open the door to larger conversation about bad governance in the country. And that is, in essence, what NSAS is. It's people who are Nigerians, proud citizens, coming out to argue the right for the right to live normal lives and to live better lives than we live currently. It's not just about being killed for looking like you're suspicious. It's about electricity, not having constant electricity, not having good roads, not having good education, not having good jobs, and so on and so forth. The same issues our parents were complaining about. We don't want to go through those issues again. 
And from interacting with people at the protests, I actually made a video about this on my YouTube channel and I interviewed people on it. It's, it's not, people were not talking about just the SARS brutality. It was about all these other issues that have been quote unquote Nigerian problems since we were born. These are things that we've been hearing forever and that's what NSARS is. Um, so looking at everything that happened with the Lekki Tollgate incident and all those things, that hit me very hard because I was at the Tollgate just about three days before that. And I'm thinking to myself, these protests were extremely peaceful. I was there, I interacted with people, I saw everything happening. Nobody was violent. Nobody even said anything about violence or attacking this person or that person. It was just, we want a better tomorrow. People were happy, people were dancing, people were singing, people were chanting. That was it. Nobody, there were no whispers of violence or anything. Even the people on the stage who were, uh, I guess you could say the MCs of the protest, if you will, they were reinforcing no violence. We're here to gather peacefully. There will be people who want us to turn towards violence, but we're not going to do that. In the same way, it was a space where every person that was there knew what was expected of them. People were, we were there to be orderly, to be good citizens, to break the stereotypes that Nigeria has been associated with for so long. Where there were lines where people were giving food, people stood in line, nobody cut lines. Even the local people, so the so-called local people that we always think they're always rowdy and rough, they were well-behaved, they stood in a line, they waited their turn. People announced, we're not here to harass any women. If you touch any woman, we're going to beat you here. So everybody knew that this was a place where you behave yourself. You come as a Nigerian, Muslim, Christian, traditional beliefs, whatever you have, it doesn't matter. We're all Nigerian. We're here for a better country. And so looking, being in that environment and being so proud to be a part of something that Nigeria probably hasn't done in this way before, only to be told that, to hear the story spun that the protests were violent and all this and that, it's, it's very disheartening. And with the whole shooting incident, it's even worse because I just imagined myself in that position after seeing what I saw of how peaceful and happy people were. And it's to me, it just seems like an effort to stifle uh, our creativity, stifle our rights, just bring you down for no reason, just for simply fighting for your rights. So I do not think the government handled it properly at all. I really don't. And it's a shame because it was such a good cause. Yes, there were people who had their own agendas, but the overwhelming amount of Nigerians at the protests were protesting just for a better tomorrow, a right to live a good life. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, what happened mm. um, at Lekki? Because we've all heard about the controversy that's going, that's going on at Lekki. Government says there were no killings. Uh, reports mm. say that there were killings up to the extent that CNN released a report that there were killings. So from your perspective, what do you, what can you tell us? I mean, really I was not there, but I, I would really to say that no killings happened just because I wasn't no there. I mean, we heard immediately it happened when DJ Switch live streamed what she was seeing on her Instagram. We started hearing people from the army and the government saying it was photoshopped. How do you photoshop a video like that? And, you know, this is what I've really learned from this process before I get back to the rest of the question. What I've learned 
is that there's a disconnect, which is not surprising. It's a generational disconnect between the older generation and the younger generation, especially where social media is concerned. A lot of, we've been on Twitter seeing a lot of these politicians and we're like, what are these people saying? Demonizing social media because they don't understand how it works. They're shocked that this, the news of this event gained so much traction worldwide because this is something they're not used to seeing. Social media is one of those things that, you know, older generation tends to make fun of you for like, oh, you're always on this or that, or these children of nowadays, this is all they do. But I think they don't fully understand the, the levels to which social media can really, really drive things, especially issues like this, because you'd be surprised something happens in the next two minutes. It's already in a different country or in several other countries around the world. And thank God for social media, because it's a very accurate way. Yes, there's a lot of room to manipulate information, no denying that. But when people are putting out actual footage, actual proof of what happened, you can't just come and say that did not happen because you don't want to believe it happened or you don't want to be in trouble because you are part of the system that allowed it to happen, if that makes sense. So I'm glad there was social media because it's reached other countries and mm -hmm. thankfully CNN did this report on it. The president has come out to say it was one-sided, it was flawed, it was biased, all of that. Whatever the case may be, whether CNN was biased or not, the facts remain the facts. We've seen all the evidence they've brought, we've seen all the images, we've seen everything. You can't tell me that nothing happened. And we've seen the army stories once they, at, at first they were saying nobody was, they said they were not even there. Then they said nobody was killed. Then they said they were invited by the Lagos state government. Then they said they only fired into the air, not protesters. So which is it? Were you there? <laughs> were you not there? You know, the story keeps changing. As one side doesn't corroborate the other side, then there's a disconnect in, all, in the narrative they've chosen to tell people. So they're forced to start coming out to defend themselves, which is just playing into the hands of the truth because everybody can begin to put the pieces together. And it's a, it's a very unfortunate event that happened when you look at people bleeding and running. And nobody was violent. They just shot at them because they wanted to exercise this power that I think is a very, it's a big problem that a lot of African countries in particular struggle with. I mean, look at what's happening in Ethiopia. Look at what has happened in Zimbabwe. Almost every African country has gone through some form of a power-hungry system. And I'm not sure why that is, but to me, this is just a continuation of all that. And when citizens come out to protest, there has to be forced to put them down. And so you ask yourself, are we really a democracy or are we? is it just a name just because we want to seem like we're progressive? Because we don't act like we're a democracy, especially with this NSARS incident. So to me, there was definitely a shooting at Lecky Tollgate. Uh, the whole issues about whether the cameras were removed or not, or this or that, all these things. <laughs> it's funny because they, they do all these things for optics, finding mystery cameras here and there, but not telling us what the mystery cameras say and all this stuff. You know, it's, it's, they, you, they just think you're, you can't think for yourself. You're stupid. You don't know what's going on. But that's where, again, the whole thing about the generational disconnect comes into play, they will be shocked at how wise the youth actually are about these things. So there was definitely a shooting at Lekki Tollgate. I remember when 
I drove past the toll gate a few days after, well, maybe a few weeks after, because I was very mentally, I was shattered. I didn't go out for a while because one, it wasn't safe to two. I didn't feel like going anywhere. I was actually, you could say even depressed of just looking at everything that was happening. And so when I drove past the toll gate, I just remember the chills I got. All the MSARS spray paints were still on the floor. You could see the toll gates glass broken, remnants of what was burned. It was, it, it was a very surreal feeling. And to think I was here days before people were killed here, it, I can't really describe the feeling, but it's, um, it's one of those things mm. I'm happy, uh, the protests, I'm happy they happened. They, yeah, I'm happy they happened. But the fallout from that is very um, disturbing. Well, thank you so much for your reflections, uh, Richard. And that was really moving. And like you said, the fallout uh, are disturbing. And one of the things that happened also shortly after yeah. that was uh, the movement seems to have been hijacked by hoodlums. So we had all these other counter protests days after mm. many countries, well, sorry, excuse me, in many streets across the country. And so I was wondering what happened that uh, it got so out of hand that, uh, you know, those protests. Hoodlums had taken to the streets. They were burning everything. They destroyed every single thing because they were upset. So they were angry. They were like, enough is enough. In addition to being angry that people like them were shot and some killed, they took to the streets and burned everything. So um, we're hearing news that uh, there's a uprising of the NSARS movement coming up again. And I was wondering, what, what is the current status of the NSARS movement? Is it re-emerging or are they disbanded? Or Because you talked about, you know, the toll it had on you when mm -hmm. you began to realize the uh, dark side of the, 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 the whole um, incident. And so I'm assuming that, and we even know that people like DJ Switch, for instance, that you mentioned had to leave the country and all. So it seems like uh, it might have been disbanded for some time, but then there's news now coming out that um, there is a reassembly. My first instinct was, oh no, I don't think this is the way to go this time because I understand I would want to protest too. It's our constitutional right to protest. But after looking at the way the government handled it, I'm worried for people that are protesting because it's at this point, you just have to be like, is there another way than to do this so soon? Because the government is crazy and we've seen what happened last time. What's to stop something worse from happening this time around? So I... I understand it. I mean, this is, this, is, this is the whole point of nation building, you know, like we fought for our independence through protests and stuff. Every country goes through these things. But unfortunately, the people in power who once fought for these things oppress the people or don't want to relinquish that power or share it or anything. But I, I'm just, I'm not sure that a second wave of protest, especially so soon, is the way to go because I don't have... I'm not comfortable with how I feel the government react. You've talked a lot about your discontent with the way the government is being run and so on and so forth. So I was just wondering, um, what would you do if you were president of Nigeria? What, what would be your main priorities? To interact with people, uh, especially if I, if I go to a new place, I like to interact with the locals because 
I think locals will give you a perspective so unique than anywhere else or anybody else. So translating that back to Nigeria, if I were president, I would really place high emphasis on finding out what the real issues plaguing local communities are. Too often, we, when it's election season, we see all these politicians come out to say they will do this, good roads, good schools, electricity. It never happens. <laughs> and I ask myself, why is that the case? Why is that the case? Like, what happens when they get into office? Is it that maybe they tried to make all these things become a reality and other people uh, blocked that uh, innovation or whatever? They, or is it that they never intended to do those things in the first place, but they just knew that's what people wanted to hear? So for me, that would be a priority would be finding out what are the real issues that average citizens have. And personally, I can say electricity is one. With good electricity, that takes care of a lot of people's problems. Because a lot, the average Nigerian doesn't need much, doesn't want much, just basic things. And this is what I learned being at the protest as well. People are not asking for anything crazy. We just want electricity, good jobs, when people graduate school, good education, and good roads. Those have been the four issues that I can remember hearing since I was little and didn't even understand anything about politics. So there has to be, you have to address those issues first, in my opinion, because that is what has been, that's what has been promised for years and years and years. And those are the basic needs that citizens have in this country. And then after that, you have a larger conversation about ethnic violence and this whole concept of ethnicity and diff different ethnic groups going against one another just because they're different. That, I don't even know if it's possible to, as a president, tackle those issues because that is, in my opinion, an ideological, psychological wiring in the mental faculties of people where you think as human beings, we were very into this in-group, out-group mentality where we like to create difference. We like to only emphasize the differences and say, I don't like this group because they look different or they do things differently. And I don't know if you can, can you even repeat that? Can you address that? Because it's not just a Nigerian issue too, it's a human issue. But for me, I think it's so important to really address that or try to address it because that's responsible. All these ethnic tensions are responsible for a lot of lives being lost. The other day in the north, people, Boko Haram or whoever it was, went to slaughter so many people in the north. There are a lot of ethnic tensions. I went to school in Jos, it, here in Nigeria. I saw these tensions where Igbos against Hausa or Fulani people, they would start killing one another. We had to evacuate school so many times. You know, all sorts of stuff. All, all because of ethnic tensions. And that's a huge reason for the instability in the country today. And when people listen to these things and they're like, oh, Nigeria is not safe. Why would I want to go there? We lose income that could be coming for tourism. And it just creates a ripple effect where the world thinks we're not safe. And because we're not safe, we enter the ter territory of becoming a failed state as a result. So those are the issues that I think would be, in for me at least, the more pressing issues to address. Oh, fantastic. I wish you could be president today. <laughs> yes, you are a remarkable young man, Richard. Thank you so much for joining me. I truly have enjoyed um, 
our chat and uh, it it's really is enlightening. I'm so encouraged that there are young people like you in the country and if you could have more of you, both male and female, then I see that there is uh, at least some glimmer of hope for the country. I hope you, that Prima. someday the country will give you an opportunity to be president. Thank you. So um, just a lighter note, I wanted to ask you if you've read any good books, moved, watched any good movies, or listened to any good music these past few days. You talked about, you know, <laughs> film and movies, especially the old school. And I was thinking he's too young to like, uh, you know, the <laughs> Hollywood old classics. So I was just curious to know what are some of your favorite books, movies, and music um, either in Nigeria, from our Nollywood. Mm. So, because I spend most of my time online <laughs> reading articles or you know, all that stuff. Um, but I have been trying to read a lot of ebooks. I got one. I haven't finished it yet, but it's called The 4-Hour Work Week, And it's basically about breaking away from the typical 9-to-5 routine and trying to make a livelihood for yourself outside of that conventional uh, design if you will. So that is one that I just started and I'm looking forward to finishing it. Um, as far as classic Hollywood movies, I love everything. Marilyn Monroe is my favorite actress um, because I, I honestly, no exaggeration, I have studied everything about her, her life, her, even down to body language. I know everything about her acting styles and what she was contending with back then. And so I'm just very fascinated by how good an actress she was, regardless of all the mental issues that she suffered from. And I would say it's hard for me to pick a favorite classic Hollywood movie, but I can give you a list of three Nollywood things. I like the old village movies with like Nkemawo and all the uh, Sofia movies and all, all stuff. I love village movies because it, it's a very unique side of Nigeria that uh, is, I think, yes. is easily overlooked because we're used to modern modern things and just the new ways uh, Nollywood is progressing. But I like to see how things were done back then. Even as bad as some of the movies were, it's interesting for me to see how things were then. They're very simple, very long and <laughs> overdrawn, but still very interesting for me. Jazz and film okay. soundtracks. I love very, very good, like orchestral scores. And I love, I love all that stuff. Yeah, music is. I can talk about music forever. <laughs> Do you play any musical instrument yourself? Actually, I used to play the saxophone. Oh wow! Amazing. I wish you had brought your saxophone along with you today, and maybe you would have played a few notes for us, perhaps next time. What advice would you have for anyone, but especially the youth that are listening to us today in Nigeria? This is even something I need to, I need to listen to my own advice because I've been very disillusioned, very disappointed in the country, especially because I came back to have a sort of mental health break this gap year, but I feel like I haven't gotten that at all. So I would just encourage all of us to continue to, you know, just stand for what is right, keep looking for different ways to uh, be part of the conversation of making the country where, what it should be. And yeah, just keep working hard at whatever you're doing. Think outside the box. Don't be caged into this conventional way of thinking. You have, you have to live your life a certain way. Experiment with things. Think outside the box. Do what makes you happy. Um, consider your own mental health. It's very important. And 
be kind to yourself and don't really worry too much about what other people say. Richard and Zirko, it's been truly a delight getting to spend our time with you, to listen to your opinions and to um, get a little more insight into who Richard is. I'm sure our listeners must have enjoyed um, listening to your thoughts as much as I have. Thank you for your chat with me. Thank you very much. That's our podcast for today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I truly enjoyed our chat with Richard Nzeku, a young Nigerian, a recent international affairs graduate, waiting to um, commence his National Youth Service Corps um, assignment. We wish you all the best with whatever you're doing. And now in the future, you truly are a shining hope for the country. If you enjoyed the podcast, please um, give us your feedback, send us messages, subscribe, like, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and have a great day.